When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I am your host, Ryan Key. Hi, Ryan Key. I'm the <laughs> other host. My name is Nick Gambarian. Hello, Adam. Energy up. <laughs> What's up, dudes? What's up? Oh, nothing. Living. Existing. In the living force? Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. I become one with the force. <laughs> soon you're dead. <laughs> Goals. Let's waste no time. Let's talk about the Clone Wars season three. What do you say? I would love that. Do it. This is a good season, man. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a hefty season of television. Put their uh, big boy pants on. Yeah. yeah. As if season two wasn't already a major level up, this one really just like kicks it up even further. You can see it in the production right out of the gate. Way more cinematic. They're really starting to nail the the look and make three D animation cinematic you've got like technology enabling that they're they're clearly learning through the whole process and then the writing really goes to a new level we see some stuff in this season that reveals some things as the marketing tagline indicates secrets revealed it's dope two of the most important arcs in the whole thing are in this and they're back to back i totally forgot about that yeah Yeah. i could only imagine in 2010 people getting like eight like i guess it's six straight weeks of like star wars altering Mm-hmm. Yeah, television. <laughs> yeah, I I feel so dumb for not having followed this as it was happening. You know, same. This was 2010. My band was crumbling and shit. I could have been paying attention to this. It would have made me way happier. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely. I was lost in the wilderness in 2010, man. No, no direction. I blame other people. Why didn't they tell me it was awesome? Yeah, we're mad at everyone. <laughs> but it was cool to watch it all together too. Oh, it, totally. But, you know, more like a feature. All right, let's get right into stolen plans. What have you done with those plans? The Clone Wars Season 3 debuted on September 17th, 2010. Like we said, marketed with the tagline, Secrets Revealed. We learn a lot. Writers, of course, George Lucas, Dave Filoni, a bunch on the writing staff, including Katie Lucas, one of George's daughters, who wrote on episodes 4, 6, 7, 12, 13, and 14. That includes the Night Sisters trilogy, which is huge. We didn't mention she also wrote on season one. She wrote one episode, is episode thirteen. She, like all of the writers on this, are screenwriters. The story, the big broad brush strokes, come down directly from George and Dave Filoni. But in terms of putting all that into dialogue and 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 writing these scenes and really building out the worlds, that's what the screenwriters do, and that's what George's daughter did here. I had no idea until like this week. This is so sweet. I wonder what she's written like, or, uh, you know, has gone on to write if writing is her thing. I know she's done some more in Clone Wars beyond this, but I, I, didn't, I didn't read the IMDb. I don't know. She's talented, clearly. She definitely did a great job with what she's, you know, 
written, and I wish she was old enough to have uh, helped George with the prequels and <laughs> those scripts. <laughs> well, unfortunately, she was instead inspiring him to shoot in sync. Yeah, in exactly. the arena. So that so didn't she made line up, up for it. It did not line up. <laughs> the cast is, of course, everyone from the prior seasons and a few new characters voiced by people who've been around for a while. So Clancy Brown plays a character named Savage Opress. Um, he was the Deveronian in The Mandalorian later on. I forgot what he did prior to this. He's in a lot. He's kind of the main cop in um, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yes. Duh. That's probably the best way that I what could. What a film. Yeah, right. Probably the best movie ever. One of it's... them anyway. Um, yeah, so he's, he's done that and a bunch of other sci-fi stuff for sure. So that was huge. It's great in the behind the scenes stuff, seeing Dave Filoni kind of starstruck by him and thinking like, oh my God, I'm directing Clancy Brown in my Star Wars cartoon. Yeah. Mind blown. <laughs> he was uh he was in this show, I, I guess it was probably early nineties or something, called Earth Two. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. It got canceled right away and I was like, What? This is the best concept ever. A second Earth? <laughs> yeah. Same. I saw I didn't watch it. I guess it's our fault. Like we just Oh, I watched it and then just really? never came back. And you didn't know why, because it was there was no internet yet. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, bum out. Sam Whitwer plays the son, who we'll talk about later. Sam Witwer, of course, we now know is the voice of Maul. Had he done anything else yet in this show at this point? Not in this show, which is funny. I, d- I don't think I put two and two together that uh, the son predated Darth Maul. And then a couple more actors who voice some characters that we'll talk about later. Because if you haven't watched The Clone Wars and you're watching this as kind of like a, a recap, maybe a, a primer to actually watching it for real, it'll be cooler if we tell you these people when they show up. Pretty big stuff. So. Big takeaways, like we talked about Secrets Revealed being the, the marketing tagline. There are two big arcs that are really crucial, and we'll do this just like we did the previous weeks where we, we kind of give you our picks for the essential arcs and essential episodes with some honorable mentions. The big ones, one which is sort of known as the Night Sisters arc, explores this whole weird different version of the dark side that is a foundation for a lot of other stuff. They're kind of backfilling things about Darth Maul and, and different dark side stuff that isn't Sith. And then there's, there's a place called Mortis. So we have the Mortis arc, which again, backfills a ton of stuff about the force, the light and the dark, the balance. This references some things from the EU, which is now Legends, but obviously canonized it by, by it getting put in here. It's huge, huge stuff. Then of course we have a plenty of character building stuff for Anakin, for Ahsoka especially. And we see a few characters that we end up, well, that we know from the original trilogy. We see them start to kind of come in and become part of Anakin's life, become part of the Republic, which will eventually become the Empire. It's really like hitting on all cylinders. Everything's firing in this season. It's really, really ramping up. Yeah, I mean, starting now, season four, season five, just really some of the best Star Wars there is for sure. And then we'll get to season seven eventually, which again, some of the best Star Wars there is. It's going to have to be a two-part episode of the podcast so that we can just focus on the final arc for an entire hour and a half. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be a lot of crying. All right, let's get into the list of essential episodes. This season is uh, not fully chronological. Again, the list, we'll put the link. Um, There's some stuff out of order, but it doesn't matter too much. One that is essential right off the bat, though, is an episode called Arc Troopers, which is about a group of troopers that go back to Camino to protect their home, essentially. Camino is their home planet. They're clones. That's where they came from. 
and it's huge battle. It's awesome cinematic as hell. And it's right at the beginning of the season too, so it really sets the tone of like how epic these battles and stuff coming from seasons one and two, it's a very like, oh, okay, okay. This yeah. is how this is going to go now. Yeah, after a while, I feel like the Separatists were just like, what if we just kill all the clones yeah. from the beginning? Yeah, what, what, just go to the be source. Clone war. <laughs> Turn off the tap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, minus the time travel, they go like Terminator style, like just, all right, Sarah Connor, <laughs> she's got to go. Yeah, exactly. So that's the plan. And we, at this point, we're fully invested in the clones as individuals, as people with a sort of a brotherhood, a family. So this is heavy. Nick, you want to give us a little synopsis? Yeah, here we go. Synopsis. So in the episode, Arc Troopers, the Separatists are once again trying to destroy the cloning facilities on Kamino for obvious reasons, like we just said. I like their plan. It just basically boils down to they're using a space battle against the Republic as a disguise to land, quote unquote, debris into the oceans of Camino. And the debris is actually pieces of a warship that there's going to be constructed underwater by aqua droids. I don't know if that's what they're technically called, but let's call them aqua droids. I think they are. So they're going to use that that ship to uh, attack the cloning facility. So Grievous and Asajj Ventress actually get into the cloning facility and they engage in a lightsaber battle with Obi-Wan and Anakin and shockingly, no one dies, no one gets hurt. <laughs> they all, <laughs> just like they do for episode after episode. Shockingly, cartoons will be cartoons. <laughs> yes, especially the Clone Wars. Grievous always gets away. Yeah. Same thing with Ventress. They they all get away. So I, I just think that it's it's important. I see it on a lot of essential lists out there. You get into this... this uh, area of the Clone Wars where starting season three, a little bit in season two, episodes are just awesome, but they're not necessarily essential as far as the Skywalker saga goes. So this is on a lot of essential lists. However, I think it's just a fun episode. It's kind of a sister episode to the season one episode called Rookies. And if you want to just follow the character development of uh, some of the clones like Rex, Cody, Fives and Echo, this is a quick, good watch. And it's great because... Like you said, it, it's not crucial to the Skywalker saga, but in terms of the clones arc over all of the Clone Wars, I mean, like the title says, this is about clones, you know? You know, it's kind of like uh, in their split of the songwriting there, they might not be uh, the singer and the lyric writer, but they're the other 50% right. yeah. on the publishing here. You know what I mean? They're the band. Yeah. <laughs> they are the band, a million piece band. And Fives and Echo, we meet in Rookies, right? And yep. this is where they become arc troopers, where they, they level up. And they, they spend a bunch of time with a clone named 99, who's sort of like, a, you, you would throw him in the, the Bad Batch, yeah. who we meet later, except he, he doesn't have any special skills. He's just kind of like, he's kind of a hunchback. He's not battle worthy, essentially. So he's just like the maintenance man. But he mm -hmm. still has that brotherhood mentality. He still wants to do his part. And he ends up being a crucial part of this battle. He ends up dying. But he proves himself, and it just, like, solidifies the whole family and brotherhood vibe, and it's awesome for the clones. They definitely mention a few times the words Bad Batch in that episode, so that's kind of the origin. The seed was planted for that whole idea of some clones don't really turn out too clony. <laughs> oh, lumpy clone. <laughs> all right, the next big one, we're skipping all the way to episodes 12, 13, and 14, the Night Sisters trilogy, like we mentioned earlier. Episode 12 being Night Sisters, episode 13, Monster, and episode 14, Witches of the Mist. This is about a clan of dark side using witches. They're called witches. 
I don't know how much this is magic and how much it's just like a different way to manipulate the force. I choose to not see it as magic because magic's whack, in my opinion. You know, I don't fuck with dragons. <laughs> so they're a clan of these dark side using, which is all women on the planet Dothamir, which is where Maul is from. With this trilogy, we get the backstory of Asajj. We meet a character named Savage Opress, who turns out to be Darth Maul's brother. Loose use of the word brother, I think. Yeah. They're a brotherhood. It seems like all the Zabrak characters are sort of, as you said, like a brotherhood more than, you know, we ate life cereal while watching cartoons in the morning <laughs> together. Yeah. yeah. Brothers. They apparently share a bloodline, but I would, I would say they're more cousins, probably. I think so. I think at the top, if, if there's any way to kind of make it make sense a little bit more, I think maybe what you're saying is at the top of this arc, it feels like more like a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And I think all the way at the end when they reintroduce Maul, I do think that Mother Talzin, if I had a guess, is leaning a little bit more towards like, no, Darth Maul's actually a brother. So spoiler. Either way. Maul's coming back. I was going to say, spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm confused by the entire reproductive process in this system <laughs> because if you can just come back and have your lower half made into metal and you don't need to go to the bathroom or have reproductive organs, where are these Zabrak coming from? <laughs> Who is your mama? There's a great scene in Star Trek V where Kirk kicks this dude in the knee, this huge dude, and he just goes down. And he's like, what the hell? How did I just beat that guy? And this other alien's like, not all species keep their genitals in the same place, Captain. <laughs> wow. it's amazing. He just used his knee? You, he bangs with his knee, yeah. <laughs> Bad spot for a wiener. Think about how productive Darth Maul must be without having uh, genitalia. <laughs> Never has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I know. If you didn't have saying. genitalia, you wouldn't think about banging ever. Yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be clouded. Yeah. Clouded by the vision of night sisters that you, <laughs> you want to wed in bed. Either that or he'd just be like randomly humping pillows. He's on his speeder bike and he just starts humping it like a dog who got neutered too early or doesn't know what to do with the hormones. You know? Dominance humping only. Yeah. <laughs> Serves no purpose. Or he starts some crime syndicates. Or that. Either way. <laughs> or that. All right, Nick, give us the rundown on this arc. All right. So it all starts with Palpatine uh, contacting Dooku and ordering him to kill his assassin slash apprentice, Asajj Ventress. There's some alliteration for you. <laughs> so basically, Sheev, Sheevy baby, he's, uh, he's kind of afraid that Asajj is getting too powerful and in turn is wondering and worrying if Dooku's kind of plotting to take over Palpatine. You know, the whole rule of two thing gets a little shady when there's technically a third who's quote unquote an assassin, but really an apprentice. She's on the come up. Yeah. So she's getting a little too powerful with uh, her Sithy dark side powers. So Palpatine's like, nah, get rid of her. So Dooku basically does it, bombs a ship that she's on. Everyone thinks she's dead. She's not. She escapes. She actually runs into some scoundrels, some pirates. She does her thing and gets away. So she escapes. She flees back to Dothamir, where uh, she's from, because she originally was in that Night Sister clan when she was a, a wee little baby. So at this point, we get to see a bunch of her, her backstory. And uh, she was a Jedi at one point. And just as uh, other most Jedis do, they watch their master die <laughs> and either move on and continue their Jedi training or turn to the dark side. I love that they bring the Jedi, you know, the fall of a Jedi thing in here with her flashback. It's It makes it so much cooler to me than her just being like a generic, oh, I'm bad because I'm bad, you know, yeah. kind of villain. So a little plan is concocted here. Mother Talzin is the name of uh, the leader, the head witch of the Night Sisters. She 
goes to Dooku and offers him a new apprentice, kind of as a ruse to get someone on the inside of Dooku's little camp there in order to get revenge. Asajj Ventress is really vengeful about what went down with Dooku. So Talzin comes up with a plan to give Dooku a new apprentice. And then when the time is right, they're going to use that apprentice to kill Dooku. So they go to a, a village of Zabrax, which again is Maul's species, the Night Bros, you might want to call them. Night Brosifs. Um, they do some uh, a, a little bit of uh, infighting to kind of find who the the strongest Zabrak is, and uh, the winner is a dude named Savage Opress, uh, and he's basically looks like Darth Maul, only he's got yellow instead of red skin. So the Night Sisters take the winner, Savage Opress, and literally just do some dark witchy Sith magic on him and turn him into a swole as hell giant dude he went from scrawny to it's like like uh captain america you know like scrawny yeah exactly and then they just lay him down on a bed do some magic and then he's just buff i love in the behind the scenes how they're like now just make him bigger now he should be bigger and eventually he was just (laughs) full like hulk status yeah and they they do you, you when you say hulk like he is kind of he's just a brute that's the best word to put it you know like he's definitely just strong he's a strong brute maybe not the smartest dude but he'll rip you in half and while uh, savage is you know getting swole with all that magic i think somewhere in that magic spell there is something almost like order 66 ish where the night sisters are going to be able to uh control i guess when savage turns against dooku but at first they want to embed him get dooku to trust him as his new apprentice and uh eventually they're just going to snap their fingers or do their their witchy magic and savage will uh assassinate count dooku they twitch their nose that's how they do it. Yeah. I like the the, sa- the sound effect when like one of the Night Sisters like touch Savage on his forehead. It's like a kind of like a bell a little bit. Like the the bowl, you know, with the thing. Uh, uh, like a singing bowl. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's a really cool, cool noise. Moving on, they, they present Savage Opress to Dooku. Dooku takes him on and trains him as a new apprentice. And, uh, you know, in order to kind of get that Sith side out of Savage... Dooku just kind of treats him poorly, puts him down, tells him he's not worthy, uses force lightning a lot yeah, <laughs> to kind of get under his skin, which sounds really terrible, honestly. He's treating him like I feel most assholes treat pit bulls. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm just going to be mean to you so you can be mean to other people for me. Yeah. Or like a bad hockey coach who like makes you cry, <laughs> yeah. but then you're like, oh, yeah. wait, but it worked. I scored a hat trick tonight. <laughs> right. Um so Savage is just feeling really down about his uh, abilities because Duke is just not being very supportive, and he's he's manipulating him into finding his darkness in order to be a better better Sith. So he's trying to break him. Exactly, doesn't really work. Yes, he's a brute, but he's not. He can't focus his dark side powers. So he doesn't have the skills. No, no skills. He's just gonna body check everybody. I keep making <laughs> hockey references. I'm sorry. That's a different podcast. Take the maker, <laughs> a hockey podcast. <laughs> So Anakin and Obi-Wan are doing some investigating, uh, and they're kind of onto the whole plan here. And then in turn, uh, Mother Talzin and Asajj know that the Jedi are about to foil their whole plan. So they have to fast forward their whole plan of assassinating Dooku. So Dooku is training Savage, and it's really not going well. At this point, they're back in like Dooku's quarters, and Savage is just failing straight up, and Dooku is 
force lightning him like he'd never force lightning before. <laughs> <laughs> so Asajj Ventress shows up because they're like, we have to kill Dooku now. This is, this is it. I know we thought we had a whole plan here where it was going to take a while. No, we got to do it now. So they all start fighting. But as they're fighting, Asajj is kind of giving crap to Savage Opress. And then Dooku is like for, still force lightning oppress a bunch. Finally, Savage Opress just flips out, force chokes both of them, and is like, all right, I'm, I, I figured it out. I'm a Sith. I got it. <laughs> That's how you do <laughs> it. The force unleashed. To piss me off, I'm going to force choke you. Then, this is where the fun begins. Anakin and Obi-Wan show up. Everyone fights, kung fu fighting everywhere, Jedi fighting <laughs> <laughs> all night long. So after everyone's kind of done fighting and they break off until their little sects here, the Jedi leave, Asajj leaves, Dooku leaves, Opress is a little injured and basically, you know, nothing happened. Shocking. Just like I said with Grievous and Asajj before. <laughs> it's the fight that counts, Nick. It's the fight that counts. <laughs> so uh, Savage Opress goes back to Mother Talzin and uh, basically says, now what? And she says, bang, 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 you have a brother. Guess who? <laughs> He's going to help you train and complete your training, and that's Darth Maul, baby. Yes, sir. This is 2010, so going back 11 years at this point, we get the return of Darth Maul. Only a short 11 years after everyone thought he was dead, so pretty cool uh, actual, like, shocking moment in the Clone Wars. Probably the most shocking moment up until this point. Uh, yeah. Because sure, like, the Mandalore stuff is dope in season two, but that didn't really mean anything until now. This is like a reveal. Yeah. This, yeah. this is like pull the curtain up and, and show something that Filoni was just like nom 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 yeah. nom nom the whole time, like waiting, you know? And what's funny in retrospect is they didn't do anything with it until the following season. So you yeah. have another year to wait before you see what happens. All you see yeah. at the end of this episode, at the end of this uh, arc, is Darth Maul's face kind of floating in uh, like a Mother Talzin's crystal ball. So it's a moment that you, I mean, a huge reveal. And then, like I said, you had to wait another year before you see that's something that you can be bummed that you didn't watch this in real time because yeah. we now all you know going back to watch it for the first time not when it was airing weekly it's like at some point you knew oh yeah remember that there's the whole solo thing and darth maul's alive and that all came from clone wars so you know it's there so yeah imagine seeing that you know for the in the crystal ball for the first time that would have been pretty mental yeah. Dude, and it's not even the season finale. They right. dropped this nope. in the middle of the season, and then you have to wait through the whole thing like, okay, next episode, he's, gonna, he's definitely going to show up. <laughs> yeah. Nope. And they're like, nope. <laughs> and we don't get it until season four. But, uh, dude, I think that's even cooler because it's not like a classic, like, dun dun dun, like cliffhanger. It's like a little tease. Like, it's yeah. huge, but it's just a tease, and then they, they drag you through the rest of the season, which is also awesome. But damn. I mean, immediately, we'll start talking about it in a minute, but immediately the next arc is even more altering as far as the Star Wars galaxy goes. It's heavy. We could talk about this a lot, and we will a little bit in the Den of Antiquities, but man, it just, it blows up the whole world because it's not Sith, it's not Jedi, but it's very much about the Force and using the Force and manipulating it. And like at first glance, you're like, this witches like what like this mm -hmm. doesn't feel like star wars necessarily but this season i think is like single-handedly responsible for changing what we expect out of the force changing our expectations and i think it's great also thinking just about sort of the um peripheral dark side users right like who are they because yeah. the, the rule of two right with the sith 
you're always asking yourself the question, well, does that mean only two people in the galaxy use the dark side? No way, right? So expanding on that to say there are tons of people who are force sensitive that are wielding dark side powers is killer because it makes it more of a powerful thing and and makes you know the master apprentice sith relationship that much more colossal you know that much more gnarly that you're at the top of the food chain yeah and the idea that the master and apprentice sith thing at the very top like you said has to deal with all this other crap it's not they're one to two dynamic it's not just who's on the come up next it's like it's almost like uh Last season, we talked about the bounty hunters kind of getting in Palpatine's way with his master plan. Like, oh, son of a bitch. Who's this guy? Now he's messing up my plan. Think about this, too. It's not just some random criminals messing with your stuff. Like, other Force users are manipulating things through the Force. Right. Introducing new people into the equation. And we talk about, in this arc, the concept of Asajj becoming too powerful, right? So if a Jedi... You know, if the council feels a Jedi is like too powerful, they're going to bring them in and Catholic school smack on the wrist with yeah. a ruler, you know, like you're too passionate or whatever. But this is like, oh, oh no, uh, uh-uh. you dead, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that has to be on their mind and on Sidious's mind all the time. Like who, who's who's coming after because the dark side is so impulsive and so irrational and power hungry. He's got to be watching his back for anyone he enlists in his service that also has forced powers you know if it was up to palpatine i think it would be like rule of one you know like he wouldn't for want sure an apprentice kind of yeah which it turns out to be yeah just talking about this whole thing and whether witches like are star wars or feel like star wars or anything our favorite word here execution yeah they did it and it was awesome so i don't care that they're technically quote-unquote witches they yep. use the word witches it's they looked great the characters are great the script was great the performance was great good job Love it. And it does something that I I think is like so necessary. I I remember thinking back in the day, like what other stories do they, can they tell thinking about what's going to happen in the high Republic maybe, or what what happened in old Republic times? Like, do we just get some other Sith just also trying to get power also fighting the Jedi? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This just like expands, like you said, Ryan expands the possibilities of what a force user is and reinforces on the other side what I've said a bunch where I think there are lots of force sensitive people who will never be trained to use the force. Like Han Solo is a force sensitive person. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. Poe Dameron is, you know what I mean? Broom boy, broom from boy. last Jedi. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> and the concept that it's good and evil, not Jedi and Sith. That's yeah. what, that's yeah. what, and, and we learned that through Ray's journey and this, you know, uh, the idea that she, she's not really a Jedi. She's all the Jedi. She's the force. She's, you know, it's it's Ben's transformation. It's all about good and evil and the, like, constructs that have been put around good and evil in the story by being a Jedi or a Sith. It's infinite, the possibilities of who could be on either side of that spectrum. Yeah, this plants that seed, and it makes the future of Star Wars that much more exciting. Next arc on the list, episodes 15, 16, and 17, known as the Mortis arc. It's Overlord's Altar of Mortis and Ghosts of Mortis. This is like one of the most revered or beloved, I guess, most intriguing to the fan base arcs and maybe all of Clone Wars. Agreed. Because it goes even further, I think, into like the the expansion of what the Force is, what it can be. And this comes directly from George's like old notebooks. This is like foundational stuff. So... 
what happens plot-wise is the Jedi receive a code, a transmission. They're kind of vague about uh, how it happens. It's just across the airwaves, whatever. A transmission of a Jedi code that's over 2,000 years old. So Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka go to investigate, and they they get to this, it looks like two pyramids, like one upside down. They make sort of this giant diamond-shaped thing. It's a system, you know, a star system, air quotes, but it's just this giant, almost like, it's like Borg style, if you're if you know that from yeah, it's like a structure. Yeah, just in space, and all of a sudden they find themselves just like waking up on what seems like a planet. You know, this like lush forest kind of thing. There they meet these three beings: the father, the daughter, and the son. These are their names officially. They end up learning that these beings have been they're like central to the force. They almost like are the force. They hold the force in balance. The daughter is the light. The son is the dark, and the father is the one kind of. He's kind of like the glue for all of it. Anakin apparently has been lured there by the father. That's what the transmission was all about because the father wants to know if he really is the chosen one. So he puts all three of them to a test. It's very like Jedi trial style facing their own kind of demons and stuff. There's some visions, all kinds of awesome crap. And in the process, Anakin discovers that he is the chosen one at the end with this kind of big battle not the end, but the uh, the end of these trials, I guess. And it's it's heavy. Nick, you want to talk about some of the details, what goes down in this arc? Yeah, I mean, uh, just to go back to kind of the top of the episode, when they're approaching that structure, like a big burst of light kind of engulfs them, and they all wake up from being passed out with like the ship perfectly landed in like a very lush like landscape. Like it looks like a magical... It, this whole arc almost has like a... Lord of the Rings feel yeah. to it visually. You know, there's towers and a lot of mountains and, and greenery everywhere. I've always questioned if they, the, this is the third time I've watched the arc, if they're actually on a planet. I mean, there's yeah, definitely totally. room to discuss if it all, it was kind of um, a spiritual experience. Yeah. I mean, not a physical one. Totally so much to like ponder here because the code that was sent out was 2,000 years old. So is this a portal into time? You know, mm-hmm. like maybe there, there's definitely some sort of time dilation going on, kind of like Dagobah, where they wake up at the end of this arc and Rex was like, you guys were gone for a couple of seconds. It was very, yeah. uh, what's that movie, Jodie Foster, Contact. Yes. Or, or also. Interstellar, I yeah, guess yeah. kind of the opposite. Like they're gone for like years when they go down, but the concept of like in, spa- in the space-time continuum, you could be, you can experience a moment completely differently than someone right nearby, depending on like what you're passing through. It's relativity. Einstein. Yeah. Relativity, man. (laughs) Thank you, Matthew. Um, There's definitely uh, a lot to unpack there. Did they go back in time? Who knows? Was Mm -hmm. that maybe a little sneaky time travel? I don't really know. But uh, the father mentions along the way that the the son and the daughter, who each represent the light side, the daughter, the son, the dark side, they represent balance of the force, but also they kind of allude to the fact that they were so powerful and strong with the force that they had to go to this planet to kind of stay away from the rest of the galaxy. So once uh, the crew, Ahsoka, Anakin, and Obi-Wan leave the ship, they're greeted by kind of an essence. She doesn't seem like she has that much of a physical body, the daughter, but she's like a bright essence kind of floating sort of she's the old chick from the basement of the library in ghostbusters yeah basically <laughs> her second acting role after ghostbusters the mortis arc and star wars 
So the daughter and Anakin start to head towards the father, and the son, actually, who represents the dark side, uh, starts to mess with Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. Anakin heads to the monastery where the father is. The father informs Anakin that he's dying, and he wants to know if Anakin is the chosen one in order to take the father's place, which is pretty hefty thing to ask for someone, especially at this point in us watching. It's like the chosen one is supposed to bring balance to the force, but we kind of think of it on a human level, you know, mm -hmm. like on an, a planetary level, not in a spiritual, the actual force level. You don't picture yep. Anakin just sitting in Mortis for the rest of his life because he's the chosen one. You picture him being a being that's a leader. It has a very um, Bran, Three-Eyed Raven Game of oh, Thrones totally. vibe, yeah, like good, good like one. taking the place of the three eyed raven for for all time, kind of like the tree being this this that weirwood tree in, in Game of Thrones being like this planet, like it's the center center of spirituality for mankind. You know, it's kind of the same concept. You know, Adam dragons. Yeah, from the Dragon Show. Your favorite. Yeah, we we think we've always thought of the chosen one and bringing balance to the force as something you you do with actions. Mm -hmm. There's some kind of like battle there's some kind of fight there's some kind of like overthrowing of someone who's unbalancing the force not just somebody who like you guys are saying sits atop a spiritual throne and tinkers with <laughs> the knobs and the the universe you know what i mean you know what also just popped into my head is well, this is there are many interpretations but my interpretation of lost of like what the island was in lost yeah yeah, yeah. you know the the cork in the bottle as the man in black says in lost mm -hmm. right like turn it upside down let the cork out and all of the evil will spill into the world and you know end humanity and whatever like that that concept that this is a it's almost like dark matter and no one can see it. You know, it's, it's out there in the galaxy, but it's like a negative space where the force is contained and, and kept, I don't know. Yeah. Like the, the balance that we know in star Wars of between light and dark is centered in this like super energy, you know, this, this place of super high force energy. I don't know. It's so rad. And I think it, I think that's another good comparison is the, you know, the Island and lost. Totally. I like all those references. And I'm sure they have they have some sort of, you know, these are all relatively modern things. I mean, Interstellar mm -hmm. definitely was after this, but just anything to do with time dilation and different parts of the galaxy that are sort of disconnected. I mean, any of the stuff could be possible for sure. So over the course of all three of these episodes, there's a lot of different visions, but then there's also force dreams. And then there's people like the sun taking on versions of Anakin. So there, there's a lot of different things that you can separate these things into. Someone's a force ghost, but then there's also force dreams and visions, but then there's also the son who can change the way he looks, and that's very confusing. So the first thing that kind of could be a little confusing here is they're leaving Mortis, and Anakin has a vision where he's greeted by himself. This vision actually winds up being the son who's trying to entice him towards the dark side. Anakin awakes from the vision, but once he awakes, the son is actually on the ship that they're trying to leave on and kidnaps Ahsoka. So this just leads total left turn. They're going back to Mortis. They're not trying to leave anymore. Right. The kidnapping of Ahsoka also is something that... Um, is a great source of memes? Well, I, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure like where it flows in and out of all three episodes, but it's certainly a thing that the father starts to really feel like the son is trending way too far yeah <laughs> to the right <laughs> yeah <laughs> to the dark and side <laughs> it probably has something to do it's not really stated but when you really if you want to speculate the father feels like he's 
dying. You know, like he's losing right. power. So, and as his power dwindles, the sun is doing more, is mm-hmm. able to do more dark things because he's less kept under the reins of the, the balance yeah. that the father brings. And it's very Sith and dark side to want to seize power, where as the light side yeah. would be different. Yeah. Seeing that weakness and wanting to seize it. Yeah. For sure. But it's a necessary part of this place and this balance. And the sister actually even says, like, at kind of like the worst moment, she's like, it's his nature. That's just what it is. He yeah. is the dark side. She is the light. And they have to exist that way. And the only reason everything's going awry is, like you guys are saying, the father is dying. So the glue is kind of, yeah. that's keeping it all in balance, is, is deteriorating. So it's not as if this dude is truly, like, bad or bad for the universe. He just is. They just are. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he goes... He goes on to, you know, I think Anakin or Obi-Wan asks him if he's a Sith. And he's like, yes, but no, you know, like yeah, he's, yeah. he's more than that. So yep. it becomes more of this. I don't want to rule the galaxy as a Sith. I just want to rule the galaxy. Kylo Ren vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get rid of all of it. Burn it all down. And it's also a great one of the many indicators of the Jedi's narrow view of the force. Mm-hmm. And not that what Palpatine was saying to Anakin in episode three was like the absolute truth, but there was a kernel of truth in it because the Jedi Sith thing is a narrow view of the force and the universe. And that's what this son is saying in response to Anakin. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's only two ways to rule the galaxy. Come on. Right. (laughs) Right. With Ahsoka captured, Anakin obviously wants to save her. Obi-Wan being kind of that moral compass and a Jedi moral compass tries to talk some sense into Anakin where he knows that there's bigger implications for the galaxy and we can't just concentrate on the life of Anakin's Padawan. But guess what? Anakin's going to Anakin and wants to save Ahsoka. <laughs> Anakin be Anakin. And- <laughs> yeah. So Ahsoka's captured and she's kind of in, a, it's not really a cell, but she's, she's captured in, in some quarters there. And uh, there's a creature in there that's kind of messing with her and being creepy. Guess who it is? It's the sun. And the creature bites Ahsoka and she immediately turns ill. Like you could see her veins and she just looks like her eyes turn sick. Yeah. Her eyes go straight palps. Yeah. She's actually infected with the dark side. It's so awesome, dude. It's like the the cave on Dagobah. It's like a it's like a human like a very humanized like manifestation of that. Like, okay, you're now gonna be tested with every evil thing in your in your soul. You know, and that's kind of what this you... whole place is. Yeah. Like for each of them. Uh, for sure, for sure. It's like the Dagobah thing. And, and yes. Floney even said they referenced that in the conversations about these stories. Yeah. And the creature that, that Nick's talking about here, the sun turns in. It's very weird for Star Wars at first again. But yeah, as he like jumps up to kind of fly away, full force power, he turns into a bat like vampire style. Sort of a <laughs> bat. like this. It's more like the dragon show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I, a Star Wars bat. Occasionally, I do f- with dragons. It happens. And the daughter, she turns into this big, almost like phoenix kind of bird. But they match like their look. Their their color. She's emitting light. She's very light colored and floaty looking. And he's just all looking like a gross ass dragon bat thing. You know, he's very vampire esque. But uh, those seem to be like their pure forms in a way. Yeah. Like they take on the more human looking forms to make it easier for humans to, yeah. to you know, to I see them. I wonder if the father has something, you know, a pure form. Yeah. An old wooden stick. We'll find out when we get Filoni on the show. <laughs> Holy Filoni. He's just like a, just a glass of ice water. Just <laughs> chilling. 
Fearing that the son has become too powerful and too consumed by the dark side, the father is worried and confronts the son. But guess what? He's right. The son totally lashes out in anger, uses red force lightning. I think that's that, that would be tight. the first time we see <laughs> so red cool. force lightning. And strikes down the father. He ain't doing so hot after that. Knowing that something needs to be done here, the daughter actually leads Obi-Wan to the altar of Mortis, where there's a blade that's made purely of the force, in quotation marks. I don't really know what that means. But. Well, <laughs> I, th- I think that plays even more into the fact that none of this really really ha- physically happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good this point. is like they're inside of the Matrix and anything can be sort of made into what, you know, so there's a figurative blade that is the force, right? Mm-hmm. How do you make the human mind understand how gnarly that actually is? Like mm-hmm. you're going to use pure force to kill him. Right. So I'm going to manifest this in your mind as a blade. That, that yeah. even more makes me think they weren't actually in a place, that they yeah, were just yeah, sleeping yeah. on their ship. So in this altar of Mortis, there's that blade that you're talking about, and that's the only way apparently to, I think she uses the word control, but I think that really means kill. Mm. Uh, this blade's the only way to control slash kill the sun. While the daughter and Obi-Wan are in that altar, Anakin finds Ahsoka, and she's really messed up. Total dark side Sith, but in like a sickly way. Mm-hmm. She's very angry with Anakin. She's like, are you proud of me, master? You know, like, I wonder if it's almost like being drunk and you say things that you wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you it, know, but you didn't really say. So she has this dark side to her where she's kind of bringing up these grievances in a weird, creepy, evil way. That's fully it. She's like drunk on the dark side. Yeah. And he calls her snips and she's like, I hate when you call me that. Yeah. You know, like fully like little sister lashing out. Drunk little sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ahsoka claims that the son and Anakin need to start working together. They need to join forces. And if Anakin doesn't do that, the son is going to kill Ahsoka. Obviously, Anakin doesn't want to do that. But then Ahsoka kind of lets Anakin know, well, if you don't do that, then you have to kill me. And that's really messed up. Obviously, Anakin's not going to do that. (laughs) But she tries to get him to. Yeah. She, She just charges him. She charges with lightsabers, and Anakin and Ahsoka are actually having a lightsaber battle. Dark side Ahsoka and Anakin fighting. It's, it reminds me of um, if, if you won't turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. Yeah, right. And yeah. if that's the trigger, that's enough for like him to just lose it, you know? Yeah, that's great. Meanwhile, and this is also very uh, Return of the Jedi-ish, there's a whole other battle going on. The son and the daughter are battling in, in the monastery. The father, who uh, was still recovering from getting force lightning, <laughs> recovers from his injuries and tries to stop them from fighting. But the son overpowers the father because the father's a weak old wooden stick. He's very Gandalfy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this whole battle culminates with Obi-Wan having the blade. And guess who gets it then? The son. And guess who he kills? The daughter. So now we have full imbalance. The daughter's dead. So this whole battle, this whole episode ends so climactically. Obi-Wan wields the blade of Mortis and tries to give it to Anakin, but dark side Ahsoka intercepts it and gives it to the son, who then taps her on her forehead and kills Ahsoka. I don't need you anymore. You got me the blade. Thanks for the blade, peace. (laughs) Yeah. Ahsoka, dead. Actually dead. So he uses his blade to try and kill the father. Because that's his whole goal is he's he's mad at his daddy. He's got daddy issues. Um, but the sister actually dives in front of the son's effort to kill the father, takes the bullet or the blade, winds up sacrificing herself. 
the son, not happy about this. This is not what he wanted to do. He had his eyes on his weak father, and now the daughter, the light side, is dying. Not quite dead, not right away, but she's dying. So as the daughter is laying there dying, Anakin kneels between them, begging the father to help and save Ahsoka. Ahsoka's dead, the daughter not quite dead, and with the help of the father, they transfer the remaining life of the daughter into Ahsoka and bring her back to life, thusly also killing the daughter permanently. Dead. Died. Gone. Yo, this, this would be then officially the first use of force healing. I was just going to say that. It's, this is so far before everyone's problem and gripes with it. <laughs> God, it's such bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's been here for years. So everybody, get off Ray. All right, get off her. <laughs> get off Rogu. There's a moment there, too, after the son kills the daughter, you know, by accident, where they embrace, like the father and the son embrace. And the father says something around, along the lines of, like, I knew there was good in you still. Or seeing yeah, him yeah. being so broken up by it, saying basically, like, see, you, you're not this evil being, you know. Yeah. Now with the daughter dead, the father warns Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. The scales now tip towards the dark side, which really, if you think of it in like a galaxy sense, maybe if this is kind of all congruent time-wise with what's happening in the rest of the galaxy, maybe this is like the step Palpatine needed somehow, you know, to, to be like, Dude, all right, for sure. I, I, everything's in my favor now. It's almost like Anakin as the chosen one has all of these different paths he could take. If he had accepted the father's offer he would have fulfilled his destiny as the chosen one and it would have skipped all the shit where the the whole universe gets torn apart and gets given to the Sith for 20 years or whatever and then he finally kills Palpatine to bring balance back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He could have assumed that throne, if you want to call it that, and maybe that's what would have tipped it back. Maybe the Jedi still would have kind of lost their power but it all would have happened in a way that wasn't so tyrannical, you know? We got one episode to go in this last arc, and it basically begins with them trying to leave again, trying to leave Mortis again, but their ship is not really functioning. Ahsoka's trying to fix it. Anakin winds up asking the father, what's the right course of action? Interestingly enough, the father now wants to eliminate the son because he fears that he's just fully engulfed. He is the dark side. He's scared of what the son is going to do to the galaxy. The father assures Anakin that the Force will guide Anakin to the right conclusion, and then guess what? Guess who shows up? Liam Neeson's. Liam Neeson's. Classic Neeson's. Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> Classic Neeson's. The Force Spirit of Qui-Gon Jinn. There is question, though, whether or not this is truly his Force ghost. Because Anakin also had a vision of his mother. Yeah. But that was Sh the son. The, yeah. the, the vision of, of Shmi was 100% was just a, the son messing with his head. Right. I got the vibe that the Qui-Gon stuff was, was truly Qui-Gon. Like he was inhabiting this space somehow mm -hmm. because... At the time, though, I mean, we're doing exactly what Filoni wanted us to do because at the time, he would not officially answer whether or not that was truly Qui-Gon. Mm -hmm. Specifically so we would just talk about it. He's like, it's way cooler for fans to kind of just try to dissect it than for me to give you the answer. I mean, look... Nick hasn't hit the, what's about to happen with Qui-Gon. That's, that's so I can't, I don't want to actually say what I'm thinking. I guess I'll say it after you read this point. What happens here then, Nick? Liam Neeson's Qui-Gon <laughs> Jinn is talking to Anakin 
and going over the fact that, you know, he knows he's the chosen one. And in order to get the answers he needs, he actually needs to head to a well on the other side of Mortis. It's a well of the dark side, well of the Sith. And he'll find answers there. What's that, Lassie? There's dark side in the well? (laughs) What's that, girl? (laughs) So there you could definitely question this Qui-Gon, ponder this Qui-Gon force ghost question. Because at this point in the story, you would expect Qui-Gon, if it's not actually him, the vision to be created by the light side. You know, that would be, I think, Mm -hmm. your instinctive reaction. But the daughter's gone. So she's not doing that. So it's either the father who is all-knowing that this is going to transpire the way it's going to, or it could be the son luring him to the well. Because as Nick is about to tell us what happens in the well, it trends in the son's favor that Anakin goes to this well. So I I think there's that question of who is Qui-Gon in this? Where is he coming from? Where is that vision being created? Is it straight-up Force Ghost, or is it being manipulated, as so many other things in this arc were manipulated by these three beings? Tell us this next thing, and then I have a thought. It's very interesting what you're saying, just because normally when there was, uh, in this arc, when you see something you would consider a vision or a dream or something, the sun winds up turning into a bat and flying away. And that did not right. happen here, so very right. interesting. Yeah. But once Anakin's actually in this well, the well shows Anakin visions of a Jedi's death, just multiple Jedi's dying, the destruction of Alderaan, his duel on Mustafar with Obi-Wan, and you start to hear... <laughs> the Empire music, you know, the yeah. just bad daddy Darth Vader music. And yes. as Anakin is screaming out in his famous like, no, you see the smoke <laughs> behind him form Darth Vader's mask. So yes. it is a true vision and a correct vision of the future of what's yeah. going to happen to Anakin. He knows it all and he knows it's real. Mm-hmm. He can sense that everything he sees in this vision actually transpires. It's so sick. It's the best Star Wars that there can be. (laughs) So it's kind of known that Qui-Gon knew that Anakin's path could be dark and there could be all this destruction and everything. But he being the kind of Jedi, a more kind of elevated Jedi than everyone on the council, he knew that it needed to happen regardless, you know, that it was ultimately like worth the sacrifice to bring balance to the force. Like that's how he saw the force. And I can't remember where that's kind of explained, but I remember us talking about that in, in a previous episode. So I think that may be just further evidence that this is Qui-Gon, even if he knows that mm-hmm. sending him to the well and doing all this stuff is just leading him down that path. It's like, well, this is where we are. Mm-hmm. Stay the course. Yeah, totally. This might also all be part of the test because it's within this like inordinate amount of time. We don't know how much time has passed, where they are, when they are, all this stuff. So this all could just be part of a test because what happens here is interesting because it's, I agree with you that I think this is, you know, actually Qui-Gon, but what happens next is Anakin's now consumed by the dark side. He turns into basically Darth Vader, yeah, you know, Sith eyes, all that type of stuff. And he's under the sun's power and Obi-Wan arrives, sees that Anakin is consumed by the dark side and Anakin kicks his speeder into the lava. Obi-Wan's trapped in the well of the dark side, but Qui-Gon doesn't come and say hi to Obi-Wan. Yeah. So that's another interesting part there. Mm Obi-Wan's stranded in there and it's not like Qui-Gon shows up and is like, what's up, dude? Well, I mean, Luke was dying in the snow and Ben just decided to only say Dagobah and then (laughs) bail. Like, it's not like they're offering a lot of help. Luke's the most helpful force ghost of all time, you know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it's very true. 
You know what? I happen to have a ship here still, and I'll just get it out of the water for you. The rest of them are kind of buttheads when it comes to lending a hand. <laughs> and ultimately, Qui-Gon's, his mission is to guide the Chosen One. Yeah. He, he was a master to Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan became a Jedi. You know, he passed the trials, whatever. But Qui-Gon's next mission was to guide the Chosen One, and he died. Couldn't do that. But here he is as a Force ghost doing just that and telling Obi-Wan, like, man, deal with the well. I got other shit. I got bigger fish to fry. Less productive. I'm going to be a force ghost, but Monday through Wednesday only. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on, the father approaches Anakin, who's still consumed by the dark side, and does that whole bung, you know, like touches his forehead type of thing and releases the spell, the dark side spell. So it kind of wound up not truly being um, something that Anakin necessarily believed in, but he was kind of under a spell and kind of uh, under something that the father could just erase Anakin's kind of hit the memory of turning to the dark side. So everything he saw, everything he saw in the well is, is erased from his memory. It's like wiping a droid's memory drive, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the final confrontation, the father begs the son one last time to abandon his dark side plan, his, his dark side takeover of the galaxy. Obviously he's going to refuse. Everyone starts Kung Fu fighting, Jedi fighting. (laughs) The father recovers that mortis blade, the blade made purely of the force and impales himself. Samurai. The son just hates that. Everything, this whole arc, the son wanted to kill the father, but... Now that he sees that the father took his own life, the son's super regretful. Maybe, maybe, sorry, maybe that's where that embrace happens. I I can't remember if it's after the daughter dies. To go back, I was mentioning there's that interesting moment between the father and the son where he says, like, I knew there was good in you still kind of that, that classic Star Wars sentiment. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to clear up. I can't remember exactly where that is. And it might be here because of how this ends. I do remember at the end of the daughter death, he turns into the bat and like flies away. So I just can't, I can't remember exactly if that hug was there, but go ahead, Nick, there's definitely a hug here. So as the son is holding his dying father, this was a little bit of a ruse. And I don't know if it was pre-planned or, or not, but you see the father kind of look over to Anakin and Anakin, while the son is distracted and embracing his dying father, Anakin (laughs) impales the son and the father. Him, yeah, and, and the father with his lightsaber. So dark. So now everyone's dead. Hey, you just brought balance of the force. You killed everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he bastes them with barbecue sauce and puts them on the fire and rotates every five minutes. <laughs> so Anakin has now brought balance to Mortis, and if he follows his path, he'll bring balance to the galaxy. You have brought balance to this world. Stay on this path. And you will do it again for the galaxy. But beware your heart. And to end this whole arc and this whole journey, and to really put an exclamation point followed by a question mark, an interrobang, <laughs> if you will, Bayside plug right there. Um, <laughs> they wake up on their ship and they're greeted by a hollow of Rex. He informs them that only a short moment has passed, even though the Jedi were on mortis for what felt like a few days. Time dilation. Where'd they go? Who knows? Just a few seconds. Just a moment. Just a few seconds passed. One of the few times when space actually makes it into this space opera. Yeah, really. Like we kind of mentioned at the top, this arc is the most informative, the most like world expanding bit of storytelling about the force that we have even to date. 
I think. All this spiritual mysticism stuff, all the, the premonitions, the visions is so relevant for so long because we're seeing, like Nick mentioned in the vision, we're seeing all the way into the original trilogy. And I think what it does for uh, people like me who don't like dragons, uh, it's really helpful <laughs> to get you to like dragons because the force has dragons too. No, it, um, it, it just, it does really expand. Like we mentioned earlier in the conversation between Anakin and the sun, it expands what we know the force to be on our, in our expectations rather than this narrow kind of binary of Sith Jedi. It's this, this massive galactic like gradient of good and evil and everything in between. And it's a lot more like what sorry, sequel haters a lot more like the kind of stuff that Ryan Johnson brought into the last Jedi, everything that Luke talked about. It's important stuff. Absolutely. I think that this shows obviously where Anakin is heading, but we all know where Anakin is heading and we know the end of the Skywalker saga. What I think that this, how this trilogy can connect if they choose to go this this route is we don't know where Ahsoka's story ends. And Ahsoka really could be set up at this point to just be the ultimate quote unquote Jedi. Because we yeah. just don't, we don't know where her future goes. And she's, you could tell in that Mandalorian episode from this past season that she's very affected by what happened to Anakin. So what happened to Anakin is influencing her direction and her using the force. All right, some honorable mentions. Some of these, I think, are like super crucial, but obviously we wanted to spend the most time talking about the things that are most sort of outside of the box of what we've known Star Wars to be. The first couple that I would throw in here are episodes five and six, Corruption and the Academy. These are two episodes on Mandalore that don't really add anything deep to develop Mandalore as a whole, but... If you want to know Satine a little better, see some of the corruption that starts to kind of chip away at her leadership. These episodes are a good quick watch. We all love Mandalore these days. Watch that stuff. Episodes 18, 19, and 20. I really, really liked these going back. I, I liked them more than I did on my first watch. The Citadel kind of trilogy. It's the Citadel, Counterattack, and Citadel Rescue. This is the introduction, actually, of Tarkin, Grand Moff Tarkin. We meet him as Captain Tarkin still pretty young in this arc. It's kind of a, a prison break story that's told over, over these three episodes. And the coolest part to me is just to see the dynamic between Tarkin and Anakin, because right away they kind of have things in common. They think about war and battle kind of the same ways. And there is a great moment. The origin, the way they originally wrote it, and this is in the behind the scenes, Tarkin executes someone kind of at the end they ended up changing it to what actually happens in the episode is the villain of this episode, O.C. Sobek, is about to kill Tarkin and Ahsoka straight shanks him with the lightsaber hearkening back to when Anakin killed Tal Merrick in that standoff between Satine, Tal, and Obi-Wan. He was going to blow up the ship. Yeah. <laughs> so she pulls a little Anakin move, which is really cool because the intent originally was to show a little bit of darkness kind of rising. So instead of going full darkness, which would have implicated the Jedi, like if, if Tarkin just executed this dude and the Jedi witnessed it, that would have been a really bad look for the Jedi. That would have been a little too far. So Filoni reworked it where Ahsoka had to kill him to save Tarkin, but she's still doing a not totally great Jedi move. She's 
working a little bit of that bad influence from Anakin. It's a good moment. It, the whole thing's worth worth watching for sure. Yeah, I, I think what I like there, there's these little moments and little jabs here and there that really plant the seed of Tarkin kind of just not really trusting Ahsoka, which I think is really interesting. Knowing where you know in two seasons he's going to be kind of the one who leads to Ahsoka's demise at the end of season five. So this is the first time that Tar- we see Tarkin and Ahsoka have any kind of back and forth, and there's for sure foreshadowing of some future events between Tarkin and Ahsoka here. And lastly, in our honorable mentions, episodes 21 and 22, the last two episodes of the season, Padawan Lost and Wookiee Hunt. It's sort of a, like a running man, predator, Hunger Games kind of vibe where I, I can't remember why they end up on this planet, but they're a bunch of Trandoshans, which are species that Bosk the bounty hunter is, sort of like the lizard head looking dudes. They hunt all kinds of species for sport. Like they bring them to the planet, they release them and they go down and hunt them. They had this big floating lodge, like a hunter lodge that just like chills up in the atmosphere. It's a ship where they have, you know, it's, it's like all over the place. They've got heads of things that they've killed and hair from Wookiees and all, all this kind of awesome stuff that we'll talk about the denim antiquities, but they, they throw these Padawans out there essentially and they go to hunt them. And the best part about this, two things. One, this is great to see Ahsoka becoming a leader. She's on her own. She's without Anakin. And Anakin's, of course, like freaking out. We find out later. But she's the one that steps up and says like, hey, if we're going to survive, here's what we're going to do. You're going to follow me. And these other Padawans who are different ages, but ultimately like, I don't know if it's an age thing or if it's just like an experience thing where she kind of takes the reins. Nonetheless, she does. And they survive because of her training, because of what Anakin has taught her and the kind of leader that she's become. But the coolest part to me is that in the end, Chewbacca shows up and a whole bunch of Wookiees show up and kind of save the day. And there's, there's some great moments with Ahsoka and Chewbacca meeting and they're kind of sitting around a fire and it's awesome. They did like such a good job of, of rendering this animation in a way that's like perfectly chewy. It's not a shitty cartoon version. It's like, it's him, dude. It's great. All his mannerisms and the look, it's so good. Who doesn't Ahsoka know? She, she knows R2. She knows 3PO. She knows Chewbacca. She like almost knows everybody. And then there's a huge moment for Ahsoka and Anakin at the end. Anakin, this is kind of the moment where he can let go of his attachment. This is one of the rare things where if he had been like this throughout, he wouldn't have gone down the dark path. He's able to let go of Ahsoka unlike his attachment to his mother, his attachment to Padme. And Yoda is actually kind of hanging nearby when this happens, when they meet back up. And Ahsoka says, you know, I survived because of your training. And you get like a rare little smile from Yoda because he sees everything come to fruition. He gave Anakin this Padawan to teach him exactly the lesson he learns in this. And he sees it all play out. And it's beautiful. I think it's essential. Yeah. the the, the what we're trying to do here with covering the Clone Wars is to give you, again, those those essential bits of information to kind of fill in all the holes of, of that might be missing from the prequels. But there's pl- just plenty of other good episodes, especially from this point on, where you no longer feel like necessarily you're watching like a lighthearted kind of kids oriented show. From this point on, you're getting arcs that maybe they don't overall totally matter but they're still very good episodes and very good arcs dude i 
I will even <laughs> I'll give you a hot controversial take. I'll even recommend the Jar Jar episodes in this season. They're pretty good. Yeah, they're, they definitely Jar Jar's play. got a girlfriend. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I mean, they definitely play Jar Jar better. And I mean, yeah. then, then, you know, they definitely play Jar Jar better than the prequels. And maybe they just dialed back, dialed it back a little bit. And there's, dude, there's something like you would think if someone said there's a, there's an episode with Jar Jar with a girlfriend, you'd be like, oh my God, kill me. <laughs> but it's the opposite. It makes you like him more because you see like this actual like tender kind of feeling version, not just a goofy walking cartoon kind of thing. And it, it makes you like Jar Jar more. I, I would watch that too. I don't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head, but when you see Jar Jar's face in the thumbnail, tap it and watch it. All right. Anything else before we move on? Let's get in that den. Let's do it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark Satan. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. The Den of Antiquities, uh, I'll, I'll run through these as well. There, there's some that are kind of just cool things to mention that aren't, aren't Easter eggs or anything, but there's some funny things. Like, we see Zero the Hut again. I'm not the biggest fan of Zero, to be honest. We talked about this dude's voice. But it is funny to find out that his love interest is Sice Noodles yeah. from, from, from Jabba's Palace. Yeah. They were romantically involved at one point. How does that even work? Yep. How do, I was just going to say. <laughs> I don't know. The mental image there is rough. What I, that whole Snice Snoodles and Zero thing, they couldn't have gotten any closer to ripping off like the opening dance and music number from Temple of Doom. Yeah. They literally couldn't have gotten any closer. I was like, wait, yeah. is this the same song? No. Okay. Okay. No, wait, is it? No, no, no. Okay. No, it's not. You definitely see in the behind the scenes stuff throughout this, there have been a bunch of Indiana Jones references directly. Mm -hmm. And this just continues that. I mentioned earlier the Trandoshan ship, the lodge, had all kinds of trophies in it from their hunts. There are apparently from Filoni, like every species that they had rendered up to this point, they threw in there somewhere. So if you look deep in the shadows of this big lodge place, you'll see everything. But the big ones that stood out were a wampa, like a full stuffed like skin and head kind of like a, like a stuffed bear in a hunting store kind of vibe, a rank or a head on the wall, a reek head reek being the big rhino kind of creature thing from the arena and attack of the clones, a stuffed Gungan, the ice creatures from the trespass episode that are kind of, um, the, I, I think there was one in the cantina, right? With the little snoot and the eyes, the multiple eyes, you know, mm -hmm. they, they're kind of abominable snowman style. Yep. There's a, like a, the floor of the whole thing is, fr is made of Zillow beast scales and skin. And then their teeth and tail spikes are all around the room. There's some Jedi Padawan braids on the wall, Dark. a Mandalorian crusader helmet, Wookiee skins. And Dark. here it is. 
the crystal skull uh-huh. from Indiana wow. Jones is in there as well. Nice. So it's, dude, it's full blown like predator style. Which that, that skull winds up in Dryden Voss's little office yes. quarters area also, huh? Yeah. In Solo. How many of those were there supposed to be? I don't know. Like four or something? Not my favorite movie, so I don't remember. <laughs> Next little tidbit. This is so good. James Arnold Taylor, friend of the pod, NBD, <laughs> does the voice of O.C. Sobek, who is the bad guy from the Confederacy of Independent Systems. This is uh, He's the main bad dude in the, the Citadel trilogy. He's kind of reptile looking. He's got a long, weird face. Anyway, James Arnold Taylor did the voice, and <laughs> Dave Filoni knew how great James Arnold Taylor's Christopher Walken voice was. And he's like, dude, do something based on that. So if you listen, it's like a low, distorted version of Christopher Walken. <laughs> Sweet. Once you know it, like it, it, you can't not hear it. Yeah, his Walken that he did on the pod was like, it was just amazing. Unreal, it was amazing. Dude. The best one I've ever heard. Yeah. Listen to that. Sorry, that's now in your head. <laughs> Great one-liner from Obi-Wan. He says, we'll take them together. Throwback to Attack of the Clones. Technically, he says, we'll take them together when they're about to go against Dooku. So technically, this is now after that first battle where Anakin didn't listen. So Anakin listens this time. Yeah, listen. You want another fake arm? <laughs> listen to me this time. The Knight Sisters designs, mainly Mother Talzin, her robe with those kind of like floating uh, collar things, her whole look, that is actually an unused phantom menace sith design in the early stages of of concept drawings for what darth maul would become like straight off the page it's exactly what she looks like and some of the others you can see it behind the scenes there's the one like (laughs) mud vein like dread head looking one you know (laughs) yeah and and they use some of these in in the clone wars but this one specifically i mean it's like straight up the exact thing it's awesome say mud vein and i immediately hear that bass tone in my head oh god (laughs) Not my favorite base tone. <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking of concept stuff, Ventress, in the flashback, we see her as a baby, as kind of a tween, a teenager, and she has this floppy mohawk kind of thing. And this was actually per the direction of Katie Lucas, George Lucas's daughter, who wrote these episodes. This look was inspired directly by Joan Jett and Brody Dowell, the, the singer of The Distillers, both of which were, you know, some of Katie's favorite musicians, favorite bands, and Tank Girl from the 90s, if you remember that movie. So she was really inspired by that stuff and wanted to kind of capture that design. So she's like, whatever you do, just give me some kind of mohawk with her as a teenager. They did a good job because that, I mean, all three of those references are like, yep, okay, cool. Got it. Distillers, Tank Girl, Joan Jett. Check, check, check. (laughs) While we're on the dark side... There was originally a scene, and I don't know if you can find this or not. They didn't fully render it, Filoni said. There was a scene on Mortis where Darth Revan and Darth Bane appeared as some kind of like force dark side vision. And it was fully written, blocked out, and the pre the previs, I guess, the pre-animation stage was all done. Did full concept for everything. They designed these characters. They modeled them in 3D. But George ultimately decided to take the scene out because this being sort of like the definitive what the force is and what what you should know about the force moving forward kind of thing he said nope officially 
Sith can't live on as Force ghosts like this. So these characters can't be here. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, maybe they could have worked in some kind of vision thing, but he wanted to make it like an unassailable, here is the definitive thing, so he didn't even mess with it. Left it out. That's huge implications just for Jedi and Sith, because Sith are kind of terrified of dying, which you see Palpatine figuring out how to live forever, not necessarily find life after death. He just doesn't want to die. Yeah, it's his full and, life uh, mission. It's huge implications that dark side Sith users just can't be Force ghosts. Yeah. Which is weird, though. I'm going to bring up the fact that Anakin... How quickly can you turn back to the light side after you're a Sith? Yeah. That, that must have happened within 20 minutes. It's like repenting yeah. at the end of your life. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to heaven now. All right, thanks. Yep. I didn't mean to steal that. <laughs> yeah. so, so then the question is, this would have canonized Darth Revan and Darth Bane. Yeah. They are, one or, one or both of them has been since canonized in a comic. Ra- I think Raven, I think... I think it was in Rise of Skywalker. I think one of those, I want to say one of those Sith trooper oh. battalions was uh, like Revan battalion or something like that. And there was a statue, right, in that in that temple as well? That I don't remember, but I remember the Raven wasn't visual. It was like a reference, like in a okay. visual dictionary or something like that, that the yeah, yeah. Sith trooper battalion was named the Raven or something like that. Word. And a couple more. Episode 11, The Pursuit of Peace. The director of this episode was Dwayne Dunham, who worked on all three of the original trilogy. He was an editor on The Empire Strikes Back, and he was, I think, the single, you know, like the head editor on Return of the Jedi, if I'm not mistaken. He was also the first person to try on the Boba Fett costume before it was Boba Fett when it was the all-white Super Trooper thing. Not Super (laughs) Trooper. Uh, What do you call him? Maxi Trooper, Maxi Stormtrooper Max Plus Pro, <laughs> Stormtrooper Pro Max, yeah, Samsung, yeah, Storm Stormtrooper Thirteen Pro Max Plus, exactly, yeah. He was the first one to. There's like some great footage. It's in the behind the scenes thing. Uh, you, you can watch it, and I think there's another YouTube clip of him with Lucas trying on the the suit in like the early days before it all happened. Point being, he came back and directed this episode. In Anakin's vision on Mortis, he sees his mother, Shmi Skywalker, and she was actually voiced by Pernilla August. They brought back the original actor. Pretty sweet. But not as sweet as this. This this is so dope. Peter Mayhew actually came in and consulted when they were creating Chewbacca to get all the animations right, to capture all of his mannerisms, how he walked, how he kind of held his mouth, you know, just all, all of like the different stuff that... Peter brought out in the character that only he really knew that well because he he was the dude portraying him. He brought that in as a consultant, worked with the animators, and it's a really, really great moment in the behind-the-scenes stuff. Check that out. And the last one I can't remember. I thought I had it in my notes, but I don't. It's fake news. But something we didn't mention, which is really cool and actually super relevant based on news that we heard today, there's an episode where we see the Republic commandos that are like the elite of the elite troopers, essentially. These are characters from the game Republic commandos, which came out in 2005 that Filoni was a big fan of and played a lot. And he wanted to bring them into the universe and canonize them officially, which he does in one of these episodes. And we just found out today that game is actually coming to PlayStation and Nintendo switch. It's been out on steam for a while, but that game is just like, lasted all these years 15 years 16 years whatever it's like a first person shooter 
I actually just bought it on Steam today because I'm about to play that stuff. So is there anything in that game that is cool that it's canonized now? Uh, they're just a cool kind of trooper. Mm-hmm. And gameplay-wise, it's the only real like first-person shooter Star gotcha. Wars game. All the newer stuff like Battlefront where you're actually controlling a, a character that has a weapon, it's all third-person. Yeah, this one's like Halo, I think so... It, I hope that Electronic Arts has it in the pipeline at some point to do a you know, Call of Duty style, like Battle yes. Royale, yeah. you know, Star Wars with light side and dark side. Like, ha- dude, blasters and lightsabers and everything happening in a giant war zone style game. I'll, dude, let's actually, let's, let's save this conversation for the after show thing for patrons because I, I want to talk about video games. <laughs> okay, great. That's a great idea. So if you're not a patron, become a patron. Patreon.com slash thank the maker pod. You can catch all the after show stuff. Here's some next level nerd. Join us on that. All right, let's move on. I love you. I know. Favorite episodes, favorite quotes, opening title quotes. I think from our end, though, this is a pretty quick one. Don't you think? I think it's obvious. First of all, we discussed it all, so we don't really need to dive (laughs) into it here. And second of all, we all agree without saying it, right? Yeah. Yeah. There is only Mortis. Right. I mean, the season was amazing, but that just, it goes down all time. I mean, with films and stuff, as far as being just something in Star Wars that completely shifted it on its axis, as far as, you know, a bomb drop of like, this is what this means. One thing we didn't mention here, in that Trevorrow script, they wound up back on Mortis, Ray and Kylo, right? Oh, yeah. So they, he had a little bit of... uh influence from a very cool place but might have just been too nerdy and out of nowhere for the casual viewer yeah. i want to see that movie still though <laughs> yeah i'll watch that specifically episode wise though what would you guys pick as your favorite um probably ghosts of mortis the, the just probably the end of that trilogy i mean there's just so much so much happens there in that 20 minutes and you know the end of anakin's journey through that arc is it's everything you know, continue on your path and you could do it again for the galaxy. It's so good. That's my exact answer. Copy paste. <laughs> Same. Retweet. Three for three. Again. Yeah. All right. Favorite opening title quote. Um, mine, I'm going to go with episode 16. He who surrenders hope surrenders life. Big fan of that. Big fan of that right now in the world. Agreed. That's sort of what I was getting at by choosing it. Speaking of the world, episode five. The challenge of hope is to overcome corruption. Yep. <sighs> Loving this hope theme. Let's go. <laughs> corruption. It's everywhere. There's a little bit of that going around. <laughs> I'm going to further that thought and say that my favorite opening title quote is from episode six. Those who enforce the law must obey the law. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. What a concept. Yeah. <laughs> What a concept. We forget about that, don't we? Oh, wait. It said, you forgot, it's, a, it's comma, unless you're rich. It says, <laughs> forgot that part. Comma, or elected. Comma, <laughs> unless you just don't want to. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's hear from the patrons, because, of course, as always, we polled the patrons. If you are a patron, you get to vote. If you're not, you don't. So become a patron, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. 
the winner of favorite episode is no surprise ghosts of mortis episode 17 the finale of the mortis trilogy it crushed 40 percent of the vote as it should as it should second place not a huge surprise either padawan lost episode 21 18 percent of the vote that was in our honorable mentions but clearly everyone wants it in the main list it's interesting. I'm I'm slightly low-grade shocked that, you know, it wasn't a Night Sisters episode. I was just going to say, I'm surprised that it wasn't Witches of the Mist with the, yeah. with, just based on the mall reveal, that that, yeah. that didn't yeah, have totally. more of an impact overall, but, but it, cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, it just shows you, like we said, you start to just get into some plain old good Star Wars, even though it has no, like, no immediate impact on the overall saga, but Padawan Lost and Wookiee Hunter, it's fun Star Wars. It's good. Yeah. The Night Sisters episode, episode 12, the first one, did do pretty well, uh, which is the mist, I guess, second. Favorite title card with 21% of the vote, episode 17, he who seeks to control fate shall never find peace. I know about that as a person with OCD. (laughs) Second place, 12% of the vote, episode 16, he who surrenders hope surrenders life. There you go, dudes. Never give up hope. Ryan, was that yours? Yeah, that was mine. Uh, episode 16. It's a good one. I'm hanging with you, patrons. Hope's the theme of Star Wars. That's it. Straight up. What else we got? Quote of the week? You got one? Quote of the week. Here we go, guys. It's a long one, everybody. A long one this week, but extremely cool. So here we go. Ultimately, the Force is an ability that can be used selflessly or selfishly, and how one chooses to wield it determines whether you stand on the dark side or the light. The dark side of the force is manifested in our greed, desire for power, and fears. And the light side of the force is propagated by selfless action, by living in balance, by overcoming our fears. The force naturally exists in balance. That balance is thrown out when someone chooses to give in to their fears and then spirals out of control, making selfish choice after selfish choice. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Our own ambitions can make the force into something terrible, even when our intentions might have been good. We do not always realize we are acting out of fear or selfishness. Anakin believes he is trying to save his wife. He's afraid to lose her. He chooses to act out of his fears and try to control the situation. That moment of choice, how we act and react, is so important. The choice between dark and light is often subtle and not limited to the Jedi and Sith. Everyone struggles with the balance between light and dark. The Mandalorian has a choice. Do his job, find the child, and hand him over to the Empire, or take this lost child in and protect it, become its guardian. It is a critical choice and one that greatly impacts both of their lives. That, my friends, was Dave Filoni. Yes, sir. What? I thought it was going to be the bass player of Mudvayne. (laughs) (laughs) Just bringing that back. (laughs) I thought it was going to be Brody from the Distillers. Yeah. that comes from a Screen Rant article I found where they pulled that quote from Lucasfilm's The Art of the Mandalorian. So a recent quote, obviously, he references uh, Din Djarin and the child there, uh, not not related to the, to the Clone Wars. But um, I think with the Mortis arc diving into the origins of the Force and, you know, this sort of central location that emits the Force that connects all living beings in the galaxy, this is a really cool thing to hear and read about one of the, if not the, most educated expert in Star Wars explain yeah. what, you know, what the Force really means. It's like he's speaking directly from what he learned through his conversations with George writing this season. Yep, for sure. And, and 
putting it in the context of, of the Mandalorian that he was working on at the time of this interview. I love too that, you know, we we talk about this all the time, how you don't have to be Jedi or Sith. You know, Adam, you, you always mentioning that Han Solo is a force user, you know, and when in this quote, when he says uh, the choice between dark and light is often subtle and not limited to the Jedi or the Sith. Yep. It's great. Love it. We're done. Season three. Wrapped it up. That was a big one. That was a big one. Pumped for season four. Yeah. I'm st- just, we're just going to get more and more stoked as this goes the next few weeks. If you're trying to find the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at thankthemakerpod. On Twitter, at ThankTheMaker. My stuff is all at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. And I'm still at Nick Bayside. Follow me there. Like I've said way too many times already on this podcast, and I'll say it again, if you want to support this podcast and you want to be involved in polls and things like that, you want to get the additional content, like the after show bit, or you want to participate in live streams, hang out with us on Discord. Discord's really fun. It's just like uh, it's like having a sweet Star Wars text thread with your buds, but it's all people that listen to this podcast. It's becoming an awesome little community. You can do all of that, get access to all of it by going to patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod and becoming a patron. It's simple now, just two tiers. One gets you access to the Discord. The other gets you access to the Discord and all the other stuff. Depends on how much money you want to spend. How cool do you want to be? You want to be cool. Be $15 cool. <laughs> Everyone, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, may the force be with you. 